morning, Keystone. I say welcome to all the kids as well. Excited that you're in here this morning and get to join us. We're in the middle of a series on 1 John, uh, looking at what John has to say specifically related to uh, what it means for us to have joy as Christians. Uh, And so we're going to be in 1 John 2 this morning, if you want to open up there. This morning's message is really, in many ways, part two of last week's message. Uh, But I would just say up front, if you weren't here last week or you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, it's okay. You shouldn't be lost. There's enough crossover between these two. Um, But I would encourage you to go back, if you haven't already, and listen to last week's message. Because I intended these two to fit together um, and to give us different perspectives, hopefully, on what it means to endure as Christians or persevere in the faith. Uh, you have likely experienced where when you look at something uh, from a different angle, you can get a different perspective on it. Uh, you, you've probably seen, if you're older and if you're a kid, maybe this is the first time you see, you've seen pictures where you might see two different things based on how you're looking at it. So, so I included two this morning for you to be able to see. Here's the first one. Uh, I think I have it up there. Yeah. How many of you see a rabbit when you look at that picture? Okay, some. How many see uh, a duck or a bird of some sort? Yeah, okay, so it's either the beak is going out to the back and the duck's looking that way, or the ears are going out and the rabbit is looking that way. Uh, There's another one. Here's the other one. Uh, How many of you see an older guy playing trumpet? Okay, how many of you see uh, the face of a woman? Okay, yeah, if you focus on the black part, you see the trumpet player, you focus on the white part, you kind of see the face of a woman. That, that depending how you're looking at these pictures, you can see a different perspective. And a similar thing is true of our endurance in the faith, of our perseverance as Christians, that we might look at it from two different perspectives. And last week we looked at 1 John 2, 18 through 25, uh, we skipped over verse 20, kind of. We're going to look at this, that this week. And we saw our endurance from the perspective of it being a challenge. That it is a challenge for us to persevere in faith and obedience to Christ as Christians. That, that it can be compared to running a long-distance race. And whether you run a race that's one mile, three miles, 26 miles, or 100 miles... Finishing a race is a challenge. And so too is enduring as Christians and enduring in the faith. And so our big idea from last week, I'm going to show it again and then give you the big idea for this week in a minute. But our big idea from last week was just this. Our joy is dependent on enduring to the end. And when we read that, there should be an immediate question that pops into our mind. How do I know I'll make it to the end? How do I know... I'll finish what I've started in putting my faith and trust in Christ. It was interesting. I was looking back at one of my journals that I kept from 2015 and 2016 this past week, and I was looking at some goals I set for the year 2016. And I must have been feeling uh, a little bit unrealistically ambitious because I set 20 goals for that year. Do you know how many of those goals I kept to the end? Two. Two out of 20. I I set this goal that I was going to complete the P90X 
uh, exercise program, which if you're not familiar with that, that's like a video workout program that lasts for three months. I think I made it three weeks and gave up. I set a goal to read this kind of like famous Russian novel that's 840 pages long. I think I made it halfway through and gave up. My favorite was I had been uh, in Costa Rica the previous summer with youth group students and was kind of frustrated by the language barrier there and came back and said, you know, I'm going to get better at Spanish. I'm going to learn more Spanish. So like any kind of cheap person, I went to Costco, uh, bought the knockoff version of Rosetta Stone and decided I'm going to study Spanish for an hour and a half for the next year every week. I think I made it two weeks and then gave up. Like, we, we don't have to look far in our lives to find examples of when we've set out to do something only to give up, when we've begun something and not completed it. And so we might think and ask, how do I know that I'll not give up on my faith? How do I know I won't give up on Jesus? I mean, how do I know that I'll even wake up tomorrow morning as a Christian? Like, can I be confident that I will make it to the end. And as we look at the other part of 1 John 2 this morning, here's the big idea that I hope we're going to see in the midst of this. Our enduring to the end is dependent on God's grace. Our making it to the finish line is dependent on God's grace. Like I said, last week we focused on 1 John 2, 18 through 25. And we saw that there were certain people who had got up, walked out, abandoned the faith, denied Christ in some way. And then John is encouraging those who remain as Christians to keep going in their faith. And this morning, as we look at verse 20 and then verses 26 through 29, we're going to see it's God's grace that ultimately enables us to keep going and why that's good news for us. So let's pray. And then we're going to pick up actually in verse uh, 18 of 1 John 2, uh, read to verse 20, and then skip down to 26 through 29. Father, we come this morning wanting to worship you and exalt you, wanting to lift up the name of Christ, wanting to remind ourselves that our hope in life and death is in him and him alone, wanting to hear from you from your word. But God, the only reason any of us can come with any of those desires is because you've gripped hold of us. You've changed us. You've given us a new heart. And you continue to hold on to us even right now in this moment. So we pray that you would speak to us. You would encourage us. You would keep us going by the very truth that you're holding on to us this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John 2, starting in verse 18, down to 20, and then skipping down to 26. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write these things to you, skipping down to verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In verse 19, John focuses on people who have left the faith, like we talked about last week, abandoned the faith, denied Christ in some way. And then we see in verse 20, he says, but you, focusing on those who have remained, who have stood firm in the faith. John's saying, some left, but you haven't. And we should ask, why? Why did some leave, but others remained? And notice what John says or how he answers that question. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Why does that matter? John doesn't focus on their action, but you remain firm in your faith. But he focuses on God's action. God anointed you, and you have knowledge. That's why you remained. That's why you keep going. I mean, we could get this image for what's happened here, this picture of like two little kids at the beach jumping waves together. And all of a sudden, this big wave comes in. A six-foot wave comes crashing in and wipes out one of them. Feet taken out. He goes under. And the girl standing next to him stays standing and keeps jumping. And we might ask, well, why? We might think, well, she was stronger. She was wiser. She was a better jumper. Or we might recognize because her mom or dad was behind her, holding on to her, picked her up, put her over the wave, and put her back down. See, John is focusing on why did some remain? Why did some Christians keep going when others left? Because of God and his work and his anointing. To which we could say this with the first point here, under sealed and secured. God finishes what he started. God finishes what he started. It's a promise we see in Philippians 1.6 that we quoted last week and we'll quote again later this week. That, that's really good news because the question then is not ultimately, will I finish what I started? Because the answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. If, and if I look at my track record, I have reason to doubt that. So it's really good news that the question is not, will I finish what I started, but will God finish what he started? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. As we look at verse 20 and 27 in this passage, we, we see John emphasizing that Christians have been anointed by God or that they've received an anointing from God. And as we're reading, we should stop and ask, what does John mean? What's he saying by that word anointed? What's he talking about here? And, and a good practice for us, anytime we come across a word in the Bible that we don't understand or, or don't quite grasp what, it, what does he mean here, is to ask, well, how else is it used in the Bible? 
that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so we might ask, okay, how is this word, this noun anointed, used? Where else is it used? Well, bad news. It's only used three times, and all three times are in 1 John 2, 20 and 27. But it's also used as a verb in other places in the New Testament. Five other times, I think. And so we might look, okay, how is this word used there? And we might find one example in Acts 10.38, where it talks about Jesus and says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection there with this word anointed and the Holy Spirit, okay? Well, then we might also look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, where it talks about followers of Christ being anointed. And here's what it says. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So again, there's this idea of God anointing, giving the Holy Spirit. So when John says, Christians, you've you've received an anointing from God. God has anointed you. I believe he's talking about the fact that God has given us the Holy Spirit in us and on us as Christians if our faith is in Christ. Now, what does that have to do with the fact that God finishes what he started? First of all, the fact that God seals us with his spirit. That's what, again, if we look at that 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, or if you were to look at Ephesians 1, 13, as it talks about the Holy Spirit, talks about the Holy Spirit being given as a seal on Christians. John, John Piper describes that in this way. God sends the Holy Spirit as a preserving seal to lock in our faith as an authenticating seal to validate our sonship and as a protecting seal to keep out destructive forces. The point is that God wants us to feel secure and safe in his love and power. In our house, uh, we keep a very small safe. I'm about to drop it because it's so heavy. There's nothing in the safe. I took it out this morning. Uh, But usually what we have in there is some of our most important documents uh, and a million dollars cash just for a rainy day in case anything happens. No, of course, that's just our important documents. Things like our passports, our social security, uh, our marriage license, other things like that. And we keep what's valuable and important in there and close it, lock it, put it away in our closet because we know that by putting things in there, that safe will protect those documents from outside forces that would try to steal or destroy what is valuable to us. When the Bible talks about God giving us the Holy Spirit as a seal, in part it's saying God has not put a safe around us, but a safe in us. That he's demonstrated our value and worth and by giving us the Holy Spirit, who then would protect us from the type of outside threats that would seek to destroy or steal our faith away. It's an incredible thing to think about. God locks us in with a safe, his spirit, to protect us, seal us. But, but there's another aspect to this as well, to this anointing of the spirit, that God's spirit secures us for God. 
God's spirit secures us for God. Again, we could look at 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 21. 1, 21 through 22, sorry. And, and there's this idea of with the spirit being a guarantee from God. And you're going to find that in Ephesians 1, 14 as well. It's, it's the word that carries with it the idea of a pledge or a down payment. And I think, think back to when my wife and I bought our van recently. Part of that process involved us putting a down payment on the van. And what that down payment for the van did was it secured it for us. They took it off the lot. No one else could have it. They, they cleaned it, filled it with gas, prepared it for us. And our putting that down payment on the van was effectively us saying, we're coming later this week to finish the deal. We're coming later this week and we're going to finish the deal. God puts a down payment on you if your faith is in Christ, his Holy Spirit. And he says, this one is mine. This one's mine. No one else can have him or her. And by virtue of my Holy Spirit in her, it tells them, I'm coming later to finish the deal. I'm going to finish the deal. I'm going to finish what I started in them. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee in us as followers of Christ that God will finish what he started in us. Now, here's the takeaway from this point, and and we'll see this in verse 27. Our continuing faith is no less a miracle than our initial faith. Our continuing faith, like the fact that if you're believing Christ right now today, that's no less a miracle than whenever you first trusted in Christ to save you. In verse 27, it's, it's kind of this, it almost feels like a confusing verse. What is John saying here? Like, the anointing taught you, you have no reason for people to teach you. What, what I believe John's saying is, hey, you have no reason to believe false teachers. Like, you've, you believe the gospel. You, you, you believe the truth about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and that he saves you. You've come to see how valuable he is as the son of God, Right? Why? Because God's anointing or his spirit has taught you that. That that in verse 27, I would say John's talking about this thing we talk about as the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Him opening our eyes, giving us faith. See, there was a time in your past and my past, even if we don't remember it, where we didn't believe the gospel. Right? Like where, where we didn't believe that our sin deserved condemnation for a holy God. Where, where we didn't believe that Jesus, we needed the Son of God to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised for us to save us. Where we didn't believe that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. And then one day something changed. And that news, Jesus and what he's done, became the most valuable, precious thing in the world. What, what happened in that instant? God's spirit opened our eyes to see the truth and to treasure Jesus. That's what happened in that instant. And maybe maybe you're someone who's here this morning and you just sense there's something happening in your life where like up till this point, in some way, you viewed belief in God, belief in Christ, this whole Christianity thing as foolishness and nonsense, And all of a sudden, it's starting to seem like it's true. I would say that's because God's spirit is working in you 
drawing you to faith, calling you to repent and trust in Christ. Praise God. His spirit is at work drawing you to faith. Or maybe you're here and you became a Christian when you were five years old and now you're 80 years old and you still woke up this morning believing that Jesus is your only hope. And I would say, praise God. That's his Holy Spirit in you, sustaining your faith day by day by day in Christ. Like wherever you are at today, if you're trusting in Jesus, believing the gospel, that's no less a miracle today than it was however many years ago you first trusted in Christ. I I think too often we view God's grace primarily as a passwork when he first saved us. And not as a present work, like right now, moment by moment, he's sustaining my belief in the gospel. I I think of it almost in this way. Pretty much every husband, I think, wakes up the week after he married his bride and says something or thinks something along the lines of like, I can't believe she married me. Like, I can't believe she married me. Did she know what she was getting into? And how easily over time that can then become how lucky she is to have married me, right? What was once a wonderful reality can become a mundane reality. And I think how easy it is for what once once filled us with joy, thinking, God, God saved me. Like, he's forgiven me all my sins. He's secured eternal life forever with him by virtue of what Jesus did. How incredible is that to over time become Yeah, I'm a Christian, of course. Like, it is no less a miracle that I woke up today trusting Christ than it was that I became a Christian 13 years ago. And every single day we wake up believing Jesus is our only hope is cause for joy because God is finishing in us what he started, keeping his promises to us. Now, we might hear all of that. God's finishing what he started. He will finish what he started and think, okay, so it doesn't matter how I live today or what I believe then. God's going to finish it. It doesn't matter what I do. And in verse 28, John would say, no, that's not true. That's not true. That he gives us both a command and a warning here in verse 28. The command is this, abide in him. Abide in Christ. Or or another way to translate John's favorite word there is remain in him. Keep going like we talked about last week. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep listening to his words. Keep gathering with his people. Keep seeking to obey him. Keep going. Abide in him. And then after that, we find this warning that follows it up. If instead we give up, abandon our faith, walk away, stop abiding. John says, when Christ returns, we will shrink back in shame. That his second appearance will then be bad news, not good news. How do we reconcile this verse with the truth that God finishes in us what he started? Because God has a strategy for getting us to the end. And his strategy is to command us and warn us. His strategy is to command us and warn us, keep going in your faith, keep going in obeying Christ, like we talked about last week, because it's worth it. 
we are not passive in our perseverance in the faith. Here's, here's another way to think about that. Perseverance as a Christian is more like a piggyback ride than a roller coaster ride. Like what, what are you talking about, Kyle? One of my favorite roller coasters, probably some of you have been on it, is the Storm Runner at Hershey Park. I love that picture of that guy in the front. Storm Runner at Hershey Park. It's a roller coaster that launches you out at, I think, 70, 72 miles an hour, up a hill, down a hill, through a massive loop, through multiple corkscrews. It, it is a wild and entertaining ride. And, and here's, here's the reality with that ride. When you sit down, a harness is put over you, a seatbelt is strapped over you, and it really doesn't matter what you do for the next 50 seconds. Like, it really doesn't matter whether you hold on as tight as you can and scream and pray or whether you would somehow fall asleep. Like, it doesn't matter. You have no part to play. You're getting to the end. You're strapped in. How different that is from a piggyback ride. A piggyback ride, if you're a kid, you know you're dependent on someone else to carry you, to get you somewhere. But you have a role to play, right? Because that person would tell you when you jump on, Hang on, don't let go. Because if you do let go, there are consequences. Hang on, don't let go. So, so when John says, abide in him so that you may have confidence and not shrink back in shame when he appears, he's saying, hang on, don't let go. Or when Paul says, stand firm in your faith, he's saying, hang on, don't let go. Or when the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, he's saying, hang on, don't let go. Or when Jesus himself says in Mark 13, stay awake, the one who endures to the end will be saved, he's saying, hang on, don't let go. See, here's the danger of a phrase like, once saved, always saved or of teaching a type of eternal security that doesn't also call for us to persevere in our faith and obedience. Because it completely disregards God's commands and warnings throughout Scripture, which are part of his grace that enables us to keep going and endure to the end. Like, security, belief that God has us to the end, should lead to action, not apathy. It should produce action, not apathy. I mean, if, if we would hear, okay, God, God's got me. He's going to finish in me what he started. So it really doesn't matter how I live or what I believe right now. It would reveal that Christ was really never our treasure in the first place. He was just a means to an end. But if instead we hear God, God's got me. He's going to get me to the end. And and so I want to know more of Jesus right now and enjoy him more right now and obey him more right now. It reveals he's our greatest treasure now and forever. Think of what Paul says in Philippians 3.12. These words that he speaks there. But I press on to make it my own. Talking about knowing, becoming like Christ experiencing his power, because Jesus has made me his own. Do you hear Paul's, like, logic there? 
Jesus has grabbed hold of me. So I'm pushing on even harder to grab hold of him. I'm pursuing him even more right now. The exact opposite of Jesus has grabbed hold of me doesn't matter what I do right now. No, Jesus got me, and I want more of him even right now. I think when we see this, that God finishes in us what he started, it then frees us to focus on today and trust God will keep you tomorrow. Like to focus on right now. What does it mean to abide in Christ today? How does he want me to obey him? Like how how can I live my life, work at my job for his glory? Who's the family and friends he's put around me? How might I love and serve them like Christ today? Who's the people in my life who don't know Christ? How might I witness to them, proclaim the gospel to them, point them to Christ today? And then not worry about tomorrow because God's got that. Like there's this freedom to say, okay, I can focus on today because I know God has got me tomorrow. And so I don't have to worry about the future. I'll abide today. And as we endure day by day in faith and obedience, we give evidence to the truth that God is holding on to us, keeping us. And he's then glorified by our endurance. That's the third point, this cause and effect that we're going to see. God is glorified by our endurance. Here's what I want to do here. We look at verse 29 in this passage. I want to use verse 29 as this kind of like case study of a truth and then apply that truth to our persevering in the faith as Christians. So here's the truth that we see in verse 29. God's action produces our action. God's action produces our action. John says in this verse, if you look at verse 29, verse John 2, if you know he, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is John's first use of that word born. And he's going to use it seven more times throughout the rest of his letter. That we've been born of him. Born of God. It's an incredible picture of our salvation. What happens when we come to faith in Christ? That we've been born of God, or or we might talk about being born again. And part of why it's such an incredible image is because it shows it's all God's work. It's all his work. I mean, think think about a baby. How much effort does a baby put into being born? None. Like a baby doesn't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to crawl out of the womb today. Mom pushes that baby out. Baby, 0% effort. Mom, 100% effort. And so when John says, we've been born of him, saying, what, what was it that caused me to be saved? That I made a decision for Christ? Or that I prayed a prayer in some way? or said yes to an invitation. No, what what caused that to happen was God said, hey, watch this. Today, I'm going to save this one and make him or her my child. That's the cause of our salvation. And then John tells us, okay, we know someone has been born of God by their practice of righteousness. Or in other words, our faith, our love, our obedience to God, are becoming more like Christ is evidence 
of the fact that God has saved us and changed us. Not the cause of it. Evidence, not the cause. Like we've already talked about in this series. So who gets the honor and praise for us being saved? God. Who gets the honor and praise for our faith and obedience? God. He did it. Okay, that's the truth. Let's apply that to our perseverance. The fact that we keep going as Christians. We might see this. God's perseverance enables our perseverance. How does God persevere? He perseveres in keeping his promises. Day after day after day. He holds on to us day after day after day. And that's what enables us to keep going day after day after day. When we were uh, at the beach a couple weeks ago, we had a pool at the house that we stayed at. Uh, And we decided to start teaching our son how to swim as we had this pool. And so so here's what we did. Our our son's about three years old. Uh, We we stood by the side uh, and we told him, okay, you want to kick your legs and kind of move your arms. Kick your legs, move your arms. Got it? And then we shoved him into the pool and said, all right, start swimming. And we watched. No, yeah, you should look at me like that. That's not at all what we did. You should call child line. Like, that's not what we did. We got into the pool. We picked him up. We brought him in. And then as we had our arms under him, we told him, all right, now start kicking your legs and moving your arms. And if you would have looked down from above at that moment, like from the deck, looking at the pool, you would have seen a toddler just kind of flailing about in the pool. And you would have seen a much stronger adult with our arms underneath him, holding him up and keeping him from sinking. When we look at our own endurance, like the fact that we're we're trying to trust Jesus, we're trying to obey him, we're trying to keep going, what we might see is a lot of flailing about at times. But we might look again and see an infinitely wise, powerful, and good God who has his arms underneath us, holding us up, telling us, keep going, I've got you. And so when we open up the Bible and attempt to hear from him and pray to him, we might hear a God who says, no one will snatch them from my hands. As we seek to obey Christ and battle sin and temptation in our lives, we might hear a God who says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we suffer under the weight of a broken world, feeling pain and discouragement and wondering, like, can we keep going? And yet we cling to Christ in faith. We might hear a God who says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we gather to worship week in and week out and then leave to worship Christ and make him known throughout the week, we might hear God who says, I will finish what I started in them. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so we can live like God's promises are true, knowing he'll hold us. And so we can live with a courageous faith, a bold love, and a daily joy for the fact that he is for us. Think for a moment with me as we wrap up about our point, main idea last week and this week. Last week, our joy is dependent on us enduring to the end. This week, our enduring to the end is dependent on God's grace. 
Now just remove the enduring to the end part. And what do you have? Our joy is dependent on God's grace. And each new day we wake up, if your faith is in Christ, you have another evidence of God's grace and another reason to rejoice and say, God is good and he's holding on to me. And to go throughout the day with joy that that's true. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 1.17. It's one of those stories that I wish I could have been there to see. And here's kind of how the story goes. There's a drought in Israel at this time. And the prophet Elijah comes across a widow who only has one son. And all she has left is a handful of flour and like a half cup of oil. And Elijah tells her, make me some bread with that oil and that will not run out. Make me some bread with that flour and that will not run out. As long as this drought continues, you'll still have a handful of flour and a half cup of oil. And that's exactly what the widow does. She makes this bread, gives it to Elijah. And then every single day she wakes up, goes down, and there's still a handful of flour and a half cup of oil to make bread for that day. And I love to picture that widow getting up and knowing my life and the life of my son depends on whether there's flour and oil downstairs today. And for her to go down and reach her hand down in that jar and see there's still flour, reach her hand down in that jug and see there's still oil. And I've got to imagine every single morning it doesn't get old. Like every single morning as she goes down and she finds flour and oil, she thinks, praise God. He's been faithful to his promises one more day. He's got us. And then she makes some bread. And I think every single day, you or I wake up trusting in Christ. It's a reason for us to say, praise God. He's been faithful to his promises one more day. He's got us. And then we can go about our day trusting him and obeying him in what he calls us to do. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your promises. Without your promises in scripture, we would be hopeless. But all your promises are yes and amen in Christ, including your promise to finish what you started in us. And God, I pray that as we see you holding on to us, that would motivate us and stir us to grip on to Jesus even more firmly, trusting him, obeying him, and living for him. We pray this in his name.